You're listening to a sermon from River City Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. For more gospel-centered resources and to learn about our church, visit www.rivercitympls.com. All right. Well, I will uh, call you guys back to your seats. It's probably one of the worst parts of the church service where you actually have to break up really good conversation and fellowship. Um, but again, my name is Dalton. I want to welcome you here today. Um, and if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, or if maybe you have one of those Ephesian scripture journals, I would encourage you to uh, grab that, open it up, and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 11 through 14, as that's where we're going to be hanging out today. And so if you remember uh, back to last week as Pastor Jeremy covered all of verses 3 through 14, which is one long run-on sentence in its original Greek language. Um, And as we found out, this isn't just one long sentence for us to just simply read. This is a song that Paul is passionately singing about the, the triune God of the universe who has lavished upon us grace upon grace and spiritual blessing upon blessing. And so just in case you missed it, or maybe you weren't here, or maybe you just forgot about all the blessings that we have have in him, let me just jog your memory a little bit uh, of what we saw last week. So starting in verse 3, we saw we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We've been chosen. We've been predestined in love, adopted as sons and daughters, redeemed through his blood, forgiven of our trespasses, lavished upon with grace, and we have been united to him. So this is why Paul is singing. But he he doesn't just stop there. He keeps going and it keeps getting better. And so this morning, we're going to see why it gets better as we take an in-depth look at this inheritance that we have been given. And so our text this morning is Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. And here's what it says. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you um, for this morning. We thank you for your word and the gift that it is to us, your people. And God, in your word, you tell us that the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word will stand forever. And so would you help us to take these words seriously, that we won't overlook them or forget them, but that we receive them and believe them. And so now as we open our Bibles, Lord, we ask for your help. Would you, by your spirit, would you open our eyes so that we may see and behold the wondrous things found in your word. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, for this next part, I'm going to ask for a little participation from you guys. And so by show of hands, how many of you guys like thrift shopping? Do we have any Goodwill fans in the house? Okay, good. So that means at least most of you are going to like this story that I have. And back in 2018, there was a story of this woman named Laura Young who decided to go shopping at a Goodwill in Austin, Texas. And one day while she was there, she came across this old-looking 52-pound marble bust of just some random guy. I've got a picture on the slides right here. 
And so without thinking much about it, she made the purchase and brought it home. As you see, she even buckled it in as she drove. And being that she was a collector of different statues and relics like this one, naturally she began doing some research on her new piece. And after just a few Google searches, she became convinced that this bust was pretty old and probably had some value to it. But she didn't know how old or how valuable it actually was. So she reached out to an auction house to confirm it. And guys, sure enough, it wasn't just pretty old or possibly had some value. This marble head of some guy was an original Roman bust sculpted roughly 2,000 years ago. And it's estimated to be worth over hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so just imagine with me for a second, right? Just imagine you're Laura, and one day you decide to go to the nearest Goodwill store, and it's probably on a Tuesday or something, because that's just how these happen. And when you're there, and you're about to check out and pay for this thing, you, you also have your old flannel and new t-shirt that you bought, and you pass by these lamps and old worn-out furniture, and you come to across this old-looking bust of a guy. And so, of course, you have to buy him. And being that he's only $35, which in this day with the prices of everything, $35 for marble is really good. Um, so you purchase him, and now he's yours. And once you bring him home, you set him on the shelf so that all of your friends can come over and see him. But then, to your surprise, after just doing a little bit of digging into this bust, you quickly realize that this purchase wasn't just a good deal. This was a great deal. As the thrift store treasure that you just thought turned into an ancient treasure. And so, here's why I tell that story. Because just like Laura Young, whether you've been a Christian for a few days or a few decades, at some point in all of our lives, all of us will have this tendency to view our inheritance in Christ and the spiritual blessings that we have in him like a $35 rock from a thrift store. Though, of course, unlike her story, we didn't purchase our inheritance but similar to her story, when we first received it, we were pumped about it, even though we didn't even know exactly what we had been given. And so I want you to think back to the first time you started following Jesus. Like, do you remember what that was like? Do you remember when you first heard the gospel and believed it? And though you didn't have all the answers to your question, you knew the gospel and that was enough for you. And as a result, you were resolved to follow Jesus and begin living your life for him every day. Do you remember how exciting it was for you with the first time you experienced the grace and peace of God in your life? When you first realized that all of your sins were forgiven, past, present, and future. When you first realized that God wrote a book right here. He wrote a book and he wanted to talk to you. And so as a result, Bible reading was so easy. And when your prayer life was vibrant because you were convinced that God was listening to you and that prayer actually worked when you first loved Jesus with all of your heart and you wanted others to love him also, do you remember what that was like? But then what happened? Odds are somewhere along the way, life got hard. You got busy. Bible reading became more of a duty and not a, and, and not a delight. You realize sanctification moves really slowly. You begin seeing the commands of God as a list of rules that you have to do instead of things that you get to do. Your prayer life grew stagnant, and the excitement wore off. And as a result, you, you find yourself growing frustrated, disillusioned, disenchanted, maybe even discouraged, all the while wondering if this is really the life that God has for you. Well, if that's you this morning, River City Church, I believe God brought you to church today to tell you, or to meet you in that place, 
and to reignite your faith by reminding you of the true worth and value of the inheritance that you have been given. And so the primary message of my sermon this morning is that, is that we would understand the true worth and value of our inheritance and how that changes the way we live. And so for those of you in the room who aren't following Jesus yet, my hope for you this morning is that upon seeing this inheritance, you would respond in faith and receive it and don't leave here without it. But now, as a way of giving credit to where credit is due, I do just have to say before I get started that these three points don't solely originate with just me and my ideas, uh, but other pastors uh, much smarter than me have, and have been doing this much longer than me have used these same three points uh, that I'm going to be using to explain the passage today. And so because of their simplicity and clarity that they bring in helping us understand what this inheritance is and how it relates to us, I've decided to adopt them as my own today. And so the outline of my, my sermon is going to be this, is we're going to figure out what's the ground of our inheritance, the guarantee of our inheritance, and then third, the goal of our inheritance. So that's where we're going today, if you're taking notes. Um, and starting in verse 11, we read, "...in him we have obtained an inheritance." This morning, we're going to be talking about our inheritance, but before we begin unpacking that inheritance and what it is, we get confronted with a person. So if you're taking notes or just following along in your scripture journals, I'd encourage you to underline or maybe even circle that phrase, in him, as this is going to be a crucial part of our understanding of what this inheritance is. And so now the question is, is who is the him that Paul is referring to here? And we know that, that the answer to that question, it's, it's always Jesus. Whenever you're in church and there's a question, it's Jesus. And so that's what it is today. So point one, the ground of our inheritance is in a person and his name is Jesus. And now up to this point in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the phrase in him or in Christ has already shown up 11 times. So clearly Paul is trying to communicate something to us about the importance of this phrase and how it relates to us. But if that's not clear enough, let me just press into this a little further. Though many of us in this room would call ourselves Christians, which really is a biblical, accurate word used to describe all of us, the word Christian is only used three times in the entire New Testament. And interestingly, the term is never used by Paul himself, but rather the phrase that he likes to use is in him or in Christ, and that's used roughly 169 times, all of which describe and define our new reality and new identity in relation to Jesus. And this idea of being in him or in Christ is what theologians call union with Christ. And it's probably one of the most important and central doctrines of the Christian faith that you probably have never heard of. But even if you haven't heard of this, the reality is that if you are in Christ, then there has never been a single day or a single moment in your Christian life where the realities of this doctrine haven't been true about you. See, at its most basic level, union with Christ is the truth that when we place our faith in Jesus, we become united to him and find ourselves now living and abiding in him and from him and for him. It means that he is in you and that you are in him. And when Paul says in him, what he wants you to know this morning is that if you have placed your faith in Christ, you have been united to him in the most real and intimate way possible. And it's in this truth that we can gladly join in singing a great hymn by George W. Robinson in which he says this, His forever, only his, who the Lord and me shall part. Ah, what, with what a rest of bliss Christ can fill the loving heart. Heaven and earth may fade and flee, firstborn light in gloom decline. But while God and I shall be, I am his and he is mine. 
Because of union in Christ, we can actually sing that and say that and know that it is true. And as we look at the New Testament, we see that this idea is littered throughout the pages. And let me just read a few examples for you. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Colossians 3.3, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ eternally. In God, excuse me. Romans 6.11, so you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Guys, do you see it? Paul is relentless about this idea. And I've even heard it once said that it's here in our union with Christ where we become all that God has created us to be. And it's here where we not only find our life, but where we, where we become fully alive and finally begin living. So what does this mean for us today? Well, it means we can finally just breathe. And we can rest from our striving. It means we can finally stop trying to earn God's love and approval with our frantic attempts of trying to prove to him and to ourselves that we were worth saving in the first place. And why is that? It is only because of this amazing fact that you are in him. And in him we see that we have obtained an inheritance. But now the question is, what is this inheritance? Our inheritance is every promise God has ever made. That's what it is. And these realities are all of the promises that make up the already but not yet reality of the spiritual truths and blessings extended and applied to you in the person of Jesus. And though they won't be fully experienced on this side of eternity, you can still bank on the fact that they have been established firmly in him. And because you are in him, listen to this, guys, God declares you righteous and holy because Jesus overcame every temptation and lived a life perfectly obedient to the Father. In him, there is no more wrath for you because Jesus took the cup of God's wrath and drank every last drop. In him, there is life beyond the grave because Jesus died the death that you deserve. In him, this world is not your home because Jesus rose from the grave and one day very soon he will return and you will get to be with him forever. In him, God is pleased with you. And the reason is because he's pleased with Jesus. In him, God is satisfied with you because he is satisfied with Jesus. In him, you have inherited eternal life the seat of honor at his right hand, full access to God himself, a new family, a new identity, and in him you get all of his love, all of his grace, all of his peace, all of his power, all of his comfort, all of heaven, all of earth, and one day you're gonna get a new heaven and a new earth and a new resurrected body. But do you know the greatest part of this inheritance? It's that you get all of God right now and for the rest of eternity. That's the best part. One of my favorite preachers says it this way. Uh, I think he says it best as he says this. Your inheritance is nothing less than God himself and everything else on the side. So it's in him and only him that we have obtained this inheritance, which is the sum total of all the promises that God has ever made to you in this book. And so as we see in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And we see that Jesus is the ground of our inheritance. But now as we keep reading, I want you to know the verb tense of the sentence. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. Notice how it doesn't say, in him, we might 
obtain or we're hoping to obtain an inheritance if we live a good and moral life. No, not at all. It, I want you to let this past tense verb, obtained, allow you to rest from your present tense striving and struggling to earn something that is already yours. But now let's look back to the text and see how it is that we obtained it. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So how did we obtain this inheritance? Having been predestined. In other words, God predestined us for it. And why is that? Well, in the text, according to the purpose of him. Because God had a purpose in doing so. And what is, the purpose, what is his purpose? To work all things according to the counsel of his will. So translation, God in his infinite wisdom and counsel predestined you to obtain this inheritance by his very own purpose simply because he wanted to. But now the question is, how do I know if I have been predestined? And that's a good question. Again, let the text answer this for us. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So there it is. There's two parts. You have predestination and human responsibility. And you have God's sovereign election, which leads to your act of faith. That is how you know. So if you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, him being Jesus, then you can rest assured that God has, in fact, predestined you. Now, the other week, I read a story about an extremely wealthy man who died and had a will that was full of these super expensive art pieces. And being that this man had a son who died before him, the rich man had no heir to receive his entire collection, and so they went into a private auction, or a public auction. And being that these art pieces were so expensive, thousands of people traveled from all over the world in hopes of getting their hands on just one of them. And so the auction started, but to everyone's surprise, the auctioneer began the auction by offering up for sale a self-portrait painted by the rich man's deceased son which was a rather plain painting, not at all like the other expensive pieces, and though the floor was open for bids, there were no offers. Until after what seemed like a long, long silence, a little old man walked down this aisle, and as he neared the front of the room, the auctioneer recognized him as he had been the servant of the rich man who died, and he knew the son. And as he finally got to the front of the room, the old man shamefully reached into his pocket grabbed a few dollars and offered them for the portrait. And the auctioneer at that point hit his gavel and said, sold. And almost immediately after, the rest of the people in the room kind of shifted with excitement as they were preparing for the main part of the selling to begin. But to their surprise, the auctioneer hit his gavel again and said, auction over. And as you can imagine, the room filled with this loud chatter and confusion as everyone was wondering, what in the world just happened? How is the auction over already? And the auctioneer went on to explain that in the will of the rich man, the instruction specifically said to offer for sale the painting drawn by his son first, and that whoever gets that, that painting of his son gets the entire art collection. See, the rich man had decided well in advance that whoever loved his son and accepted him could not only have his son's work, but all the benefits that belong to the father. See, in many ways, this is our story, too. Though obviously the difference being that we don't purchase our inheritance and more than one person can receive it, 
But similar to the rich man's will in the story, God the Father has a will. It's an inheritance that is guaranteed for those who received his son, a son who also died. And just like the undeserving or undesired portrait of the son in this story, Jesus' display of sacrificial love on the cross also looks undesirable and foolish to a dying world. But for those who would look to the cross and receive the work of the son, every single piece of the father's inheritance is now yours. And unlike expensive paintings done on canvas that will one day be lost, stolen, or destroyed, we see in 1 Peter 1 that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And we can know that this is guaranteed to happen because of the fact that you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So point two, the guarantee of our inheritance is the promised Holy Spirit. And I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you hear the word word sealed, but in the New Testament, there are three different ways in which this word could be used. The first first use of the word sealed is found in Matthew 27, 66, when the tomb of Jesus was secured by sealing it and putting guards around it. This also appears in Revelation 20, verse 3, when God throws Satan into a pit and seals it it over so that he can't escape. And, And so in this use of the word, sealing is like locking something up or closing it in. And now the second version, or the second use of the word is found in Romans 4, 11, where Abraham's covenant, or circumcision is called the sign and seal of the covenant. We also see in 1 Corinthians 9, 2, when Paul says that his converts are the seal of his apostleship. And so in this, verse, this use of the word, sealing is giving a sign of authenticity. And third, uh, the third use of the word is found in Revelation 7, 3, where the seal of God is put on the forehead of God's servants to protect them from the wrath coming upon the world. So in this use of the word, sealing is a mark of God's ownership. And so the question is, which, which use of the word is Paul meaning here in Ephesians 1.13? Well, I'm convinced that it's a combination of all three. So when Paul says, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, what he means is that the Holy Spirit sealed in your faith and now protects you from falling away. This means that once the Spirit seals you, you cannot lose your salvation or this inheritance, which is God essentially saying, you are safe. And when we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, like circumcision, the Spirit himself becomes the authentic outward sign that points to the, to the divine reality in our hearts, which is God saying, you are legit. And when we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit marks us so that it's clear to yourself and all who come in contact, you, contact with you that God owns you, which is essentially God saying, you are mine. And if you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, then your inheritance is guaranteed And the Spirit himself is God's down payment of your inheritance until you acquire possession of it. And all of this to say that for those who are in Christ, we've got to start seeing ourselves like this. And we've got to start living like spiritual trust fund babies that we are. Trusting that no matter what may be going on in your life right now, whether life is going good or bad, whether you feel close to God or far from him, and whether you'd say that you're soaring or maybe you're just struggling spiritually, if you are in Christ, You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and if you have been sealed, your inheritance is guaranteed. And so we're in review. 
the, the ground of our inheritance is a person and his name is Jesus. And the guarantee of our inheritance is the promised Holy Spirit. But now the question is, what is the point of this? In other words, what is the goal of our inheritance? We'll see it in the text. And this leads us to our, our point three. The goal of our inheritance is the praise of his glory. And so Paul ends his song with a third appearance of this refrain, which appeared in verse 6, verse 12, and now here in verse 14, where he concludes that all of this, the goal of this, is to the praise of his glory. So the goal of our inheritance is the praise of his glory. Now listen to how the great theologian, uh, the English theologian John Stott describes this goal. Thus everything we have and everything we are in Christ both comes from God and returns to God. It begins in his will and ends in his glory. For this is where everything begins and ends. For God's people are God's possession who live by God's will and for God's glory. And to live um, to the praise of that glory, of his grace, is both to worship him ourselves and by our words and deeds as the gracious God he is. And to cause others to see and to praise him too. This was God's will for Israel in the Old Testament days and it is also the purpose for his people today. So you see, his goal in giving his gifts to his people is nothing other than his glory. And when we see, uh, and when we, when we as his people realize that we've been, all that we've been given, we cannot help but live our lives in light of that. And so that all that we do is for his glory. And this looks exactly like 1 Corinthians 10.33, which says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So everything we do should be for this goal of living to the praise of his glory. And so for the Christian, here's what it looks like to live for the praise of his glory. It's the everyday enjoyment and stewardship of the good gifts you've received from the Lord. But doing so, of course, with open hands uh, and a heart set on him, trusting that one day, not long from now, you will finally and fully receive your inheritance that far exceeds anything this world has to offer. To live for the praise of his glory also looks like the long obedience in the same direction. Slowly, slowly, one one step at a time, one day at a time, growing in maturity in the likeness of Jesus, knowing for certain that one day, whether by death or Christ's return, you will receive your inheritance. And so River City Church, here is a little glimpse of what that day is going to look like for those who are in Christ. It's Revelation 21, 3 through 4. As I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And now I'll close by by saying this. This past week, I had the unique opportunity to attend two very different funerals for two very different people. The first one was on Wednesday for a man whose funeral I had the honor of officiating. um, And the other was just yesterday uh, for Evelyn, for a, a woman whose funeral I just had the privilege of attending. And though these two services were similar to each other in the fact that they both had this exact same text, Revelation 21, read aloud as a way of giving hope to the people that attended, I can't help but feel the dramatic contrast between the two people in their experience of this uh, eternal hope. And look, I'll just, I'll just say this plainly. I know that I am not God, and therefore, at the end of the day, I do not fully know 
what, what was in both the hearts of the man and the woman. Like God intimately knows that. But from what I can perceive based on the, how they lived and the fruit that came from their life, through my limited perspective on this side of eternity, is the fact that in this very, um, is that, it, it, sorry, it's the fact that this, this woman loved and followed Jesus. Like, I could see that, by the way, that she lived her life, all the way till she was 100 years old, to her dying days. I could see that she loved Jesus with all her heart and all that she did, lived to the praise of his glory, whereas the man didn't. And so I was there at each of these funerals, listening to that text being read about this inheritance that is, that's supposed to give us hope. And I'll be honest, though, I was sad that Evelyn was gone, that she died, and she's no longer physically with us on earth. I couldn't help but feel jealous of the fact that right now, like even right now, she is getting to experience the joys of this inheritance and the presence of her God. While on the other hand, at the, the other man's funeral, even as I was officiating it and trying to give the people who gathered hope about this in inheritance, all I could think about is how this guy missed it. And how he didn't receive this inheritance because he didn't receive the son. And I don't want you guys to miss it. And so this morning, for those of you who are not in Christ, my prayer for you is this, is that you wouldn't miss it. You wouldn't be like this man and miss it and live for other things. But instead, you would respond to Jesus and receive this inheritance. And for those of you who are in Christ, who are Christians, my prayer for you is that the Lord would help you to see all that you had been given in him. And as a result, you would, you would live in light of this guaranteed inheritance for the praise of his glory. Thank you for listening to this sermon from River City Church. If you found this resource helpful, we encourage you to share it with your friends and family. We exist to see weary lives renewed through relationship with Jesus in the Twin Cities and beyond.